With the sports world on pause, we've teamed Greg Linelli and Eric Erlinson together for Power Lunch, an hour to talk lightning hockey, the NHL, and how you're coping with the coronavirus. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. Center point, Hedman, right to go, Kudrop. Score! Patrick Kudrop! Can't wait for that to happen again. No doubt about that. Greg Linelli with you along with Eric Erlinson. Glad you're with us here on Power Lunch. We go till 1 o'clock. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News, people. He'll be joining us coming up in about 10, 15 minutes. We want to talk about the NHL draft coming up. It will take place. The Lightning will have picks. But who are the best players in this draft? And what does he make of the pool in general? What, where I want to start the show, where we want to start the show today, is maybe reflecting a bit back at the team in 2015 that took on the Chicago Blackhawks. E, you remember that series very well, and for a lot of Lightning fans, for every Lightning fan, it should be pretty painful to go down that road. But we're playing these games, all the playoff wins from 2015, on Lightning Power Play in 95.3 WDAE, Tuesdays, Thursdays, Saturday, and Sundays. Tonight will be game two where the Tampa Bay Lightning are victorious four to three and they even the series at one game of PC but I couldn't help in helping put together these broadcasts and you know you're part of this as well during the intermission reports we get a chance to look back and break down that series and discuss what went wrong and what went right and just a couple of things really stood out for me looking at that team back in 2015 and comparing them to this current team right now and boy the one thing that kept coming back to me was while that team in 2015 made it to the Stanley Cup finals and I think you can make a good case should have won maybe considering some of the breaks that Chicago got and some of the ones that Tampa Bay didn't get is that I think the lightning over the over that time since 2015, have probably had two or three teams collectively that have been better talent-wise than that 2015 team, but yet that was the team that got to the Stanley Cup Finals, and in some ways it leaves a void in Lightning's stomachs, I think, because you understand that maybe they're wasting some opportunities here with the rosters and the teams they've had post-2015. There is no doubt that of the teams that have come uh, roster-wise since that 15 final that maybe, and injuries played a part of it, maybe that 17 team, and maybe that's the only team you look at and say, well, maybe they weren't quite as good as that 15 team. And, you know, that's including a team that had Braden Point in his rookie year in 17 that, you know, kind of really took off. Uh, but because of the injuries to Stamkos and Vladimir Meskov down the end and Tyler Johnson, that he really got elevated into a role that uh, you found out exactly who Braden Point was. But I, I think that's absolutely fair. You think of the three teams that have made the conference final in the John Cooper era, I would say that the, the 15 team was probably from top to bottom not as deep as the other teams and, and certainly going to last year's team as well. And that's why, you know, you hear this all the time, you have to take advantage of the opportunities you have because you never know if they're going to come again. And you hear players talk about that all the time. Think about a guy like Mike Gartner, who had such a prolific career, 
never won a Stanley Cup. Dave Anderchuk, until he came here and won it with the team in 04, you know, all the great years and the great teams that he was on, never even got to a Stanley Cup final uh, until late into his 30s. And, you know, that's that's why that's, that, that saying is there, that you never know when the opportunities are going to come. And when you're a young player, and I heard this a lot from that 04 team, from the Marty St. Louis and the Brad Richards and the Vinny LeCavalier, they think they're going to do it every year. And you only had it the once, and they took advantage of it. And uh, so I think in a lot of ways, as you kind of reflect back on that 15 team, uh, and then the, the, how close they've come without getting the the ultimate prize in that time span. That um, yeah, I, I mean it, it it is amazing, and it, and it just goes back to reiterate and reinforce just how hard it is to win a Stanley Cup in the NHL uh, after an 82 game season, and then you got to win another 16 games in the postseason. It's an additional two months. There's no doubt that it's difficult, and I think that this stretch of success that the Lightning have had without winning the Stanley Cup shows exactly how hard it is to win. Well, what else stood out for you during that run? And you and I have talked about this throughout the playoffs, the emergence of Ben Bishop. I think everybody understands that. The emergence of Tyler Johnson becoming maybe a top six forward, really, in the eyes of many, including himself. Andre Pilat, Kucherov maybe emerging. Alex Klorn also emerging as well. I mean, those are some things that, that stand out, no doubt. But I'm wondering for you, are, are there any other tidbits that you took from that series and, and said that really stood out? I, I tell you what, for me, and, and I'm curious what our audience thinks, uh, at Bolts Radio, at Eric underscore Erlinson, at Greg Linelli, how good Anton Strahlman was and not only that year but the year before playing for the rangers going back to the stanley cup finals when they were taking on the kings and there were a lot of people that felt like strawman emerged from that series as a legitimate top four defenseman i think he carried that into the next year playing alongside victor hedman for the tampa bay lightning but his skating was top notch his decision making was top notch and everybody that commented on strawman that played with him or against him talked about how calm he was when the puck was on his stick. I will make this statement. I think you can make the case, obviously, Victor Hedman is the best defense, and maybe in Lightning history, certainly what we've seen over the last 10 years. I don't know if they've come... I don't want to say close, because I think McDonough is is right there. But I'm pretty comfortable saying that Anton Strauman, during this period of time over the last six, seven years, was Tampa Bay's second-best defenseman. And I feel pretty confident talking about that right now. I don't think that's a stretch by any means. I, I think that Anton Strollman, the way that he played the game, he still plays the game. Remember, he's still with the Florida Panthers. Right. Uh, but during his four years here with Tampa Bay, you know, I, I, I use this phrase many times to describe Anton Strollman. He's patience personified because mm-hmm. he never makes a um, he never makes a mistake with the puck. Very rarely does he put himself into a bad situation to where he's going to turn the puck over. He gets the puck out with such calm and presence back there, just so steady and you know I I think you look at contracts that have been signed for defensemen in particular, especially right-handed shot defensemen in recent years and you look at what the Lightning were able to get from him in the 4 years he was here. I mean, that was really a bargain contract to be able to bring in Strawman. Now, I think the length of the contract helped when he signed as a free agent uh, after that 14 season um, with the Rangers. But he just did everything just steady. And he's not going to jump out at you. He's not going to be flashy. He's just steady, doesn't make mistakes, makes the right reads. And then he'll occasionally, and we saw this in especially his first couple of years, 
He'll he'll occasionally pull something out of his bag of tricks. I remember a little spin move he put on Marc Andre Fleury coming down from the right point uh, to score a goal uh, at one point, and uh, you know you'd see him cut down low. I remember he scored a goal right in front of the net in Minnesota one year. So he had that in his arsenal. Remember, he came up too as an offensive defenseman, and it wasn't until. Uh, really, he got to New York and played for John Tortorella that he realized he kind of had to change his approach to the game, and that probably made him a better two-way defenseman. But um, the one phrase that John Cooper used over and over again during his tenure here, Strawman's tenure here, was he might not win a Norris Trophy, but there's a good chance his partner could. And, of course, he was talking about Victor Hedman, and then, sure, Victor Hedman went on to win a, a Norris Trophy two years ago, and that just is a a high compliment for a player of Anton Strauman who's not going to put up the offensive numbers to jump up into a Norris consideration, but he's always just been a steady presence, and I think you really saw that. And that was it, right? Like, you know players, you can read players, maybe you pick up on them a couple of times per year, but once you start to see them night after night and just see how steady they are, that's who Anton Strauman was, and you really appreciated what he brought when he kind of had a chance to watch him on a nightly basis. And I think this is why we were so adamant about finding Victor Hedman a partner for this year. You know, they, look, he's gone back and forth with different defensemen. Maybe you can make the case he hasn't found somebody that he fully feels comfortable with like he did with Anton Strauman, and I think that's probably more because Anton Strauman was so good. Ironically, it's been a guy who, I don't want to say was a journeyman, but Jan Rutza, has, who has found maybe that security blanket playing alongside Victor Hedman. But I just think, you know, looking back at that series and how good Strauman was, I mean, he, when did he break his leg? Was it the following year or two it years was, after that? It was 16. It was right up till the tail end of the 2016 okay. year because that was the year both him and uh, Steven Stamkos uh, yeah. missed the first round. Yeah, and I think we all, all can can say pretty confidently, it just never was the same after that, and that's a pretty horrific yeah. injury. Look, you're a defenseman that's mobile, and, and you break your leg. It's not like he was 22 anymore. I mean, this is a guy who played a lot of hard minutes, and you could see that catching up to him. But it's just really interesting reflecting back, because I think if you were to compare this team right now to the 2015 team, I don't want to say they're head and shoulders better at basically every position, but I think you feel pretty confident that this group right now uh, was a lot better than the team in 2015. But the team in 2015, and, and you can probably speak to this better than most, probably got hot at the right time. They had some guys emerge in the playoffs at the right time, and because of that, um, they were able to come within two games of winning the Stanley Cup, and I think people sometimes forget they were leading one nothing in Game 1 heading into the third period when uh, the Blackhawks would score a couple to take that 1-0 lead in the best of seven. But Tampa Bay, in some instances, could have been up 3-0. Yeah, they really, they really should have been up 3-0. Um, you know, you carry a one nothing lead into the third period on home ice in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. And again, remember, this is, this is a team that was coming off a Game 7 victory in Madison Square Garden uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals where they faced all the history that was so strongly in favor of the New York Rangers. You know, Henrik Lundqvist had never lost a Game 7. The Rangers had never lost a Game 7, I think, in Madison Square Garden or it had been 50 years since they lost a, a Game 7 on home ice. The Lightning were facing all of that, and 
I go back and I'll never forget this comment from Steven Stamkos when that was obviously the topic and the storyline going into that game seven. How is this young upstart lightning team going to dethrone Henrik Lundqvist and the New York Rangers? Mm-hmm. And his comment was, well, they've never faced the 2015 Tampa Bay Lightning. Right. That team had a certain swagger about them. And I think, you know, you, you talk about how teams take on the personality of their coaches sometimes. There's no doubt that John Cooper has that swag uh, to him. You can see it in the way he talks and the way he carries himself. And that really resonated with the team. And they went in and they won that game seven in New York. And I think they carried some of that over. And sometimes it's it's not overconfidence, but sometimes you feel so good about yourself you don't realize how how thin that line can be, and I think we saw that in the game one loss because they do have a one nothing lead, and it's a turnover by J.T. Brown in his own end that ends up, um, I don't know if it was the tying goal or the winning goal in that situation, but, um, you know, that's how razor thin it could be, and that's how close the lightning could have been to being up 3 nothing in that series, and who knows how history changes from there. But I think top to bottom, if you go from 1 to 20, or 22, 23, however deep you want to go on the roster, I don't think there's any doubt that this year's team, I think, is probably the deepest, especially when you uh, take into account the steps Mikhail Sergachev has taken this year. I think the addition of a guy like Zach Bogosian uh, right before the trade deadline, he came in as a free agent after he was bought out by the Sabres. I think he makes them deeper. Luke Shen uh, can play some heavy minutes if you need him to, especially in a physical aspect. Uh, so I think their blue line, and that's still been a question that they haven't been able to quite build that really good, strong, solid blue line. I think this is probably the best core of six, seven, eight that they've had. And I think that's why a lot of us, especially those inside the Lightning locker room, want to see how a playoffs are going to turn out for this team because I think this is absolutely the deepest roster they've had uh, probably in the John Cooper, uh, Julian Breezeball slash Steve Eiserman era. Yeah, I think for me that's what I take from this discussion is that Julian Breezeball and management before him put Tampa Bay in a position where there can't be any more excuses. Not that they use excuses, obviously, but in terms of not being able to get it done, if they win a Stanley Cup this year, I think you could make a strong case it's the best Lightning team of all time. And that's no disrespect to the 04 team because they had Hall of Famers. They had guys who were difference makers. I mean, obviously, Marty St. Louis, Vinny LeCavier. We had Dave Anderchuk as a, as a role player, but a really good one. Richards. And then what you had on the back end. I, I understand that and I appreciate that. But this core group of players is dynamic. And you know what, E? They've done it longer, too. They haven't won a cup yet, but that core group, I think they've been more more dominant in the league than that 4 core. And some of that is because they didn't have a chance to defend the following year, understand that. But I feel like the the bottom fell out quicker than they would have liked. I don't get the sense that's going to happen with this group of Lightning players. And it's been going on for the last four or five years where they've been sniffing at a chance to win a cup. And I think if they do win it, I think we're going to look back and say, yeah, you know what? This probably is the best Lightning team we've seen. I don't argue with that at all. I mean, you think about that 04 team and certainly what they accomplished. They were robbed of that opportunity because of the lost season due to the lockout. But four years after they won the cup, they had the first overall pick. And that tells you how quickly 
it kind of dropped, right? Because they got Steven Stamkos in the 08 draft, and then they had the number two overall pick the next year where they were able to bring in Victor Hedman, and you kind of re reset the pieces, reset the core, and certainly those two guys are a big part of this core. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, the old four team will always be the standard, and until somebody else, some other team – uh, in this franchise's history, wins a cup. Yeah, uh, they will be the standard that 0-4 team. And, but and I think talent-wise, it's there's no doubt that this is easily the best group that the Lightning management has been able to put together. Um, really, in their history, it's just it's in a, in a salary cap era as well. Uh, that I think that kind of makes it even more uh, impressive and um, has such high hopes not only for this year but you know down the road as well. We expect the NHL draft to take place this year. How good of a draft is this? Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News is all over it. We'll talk to him next. It is the Power Lunch. I am Greg Linnelli along with Eric Rollinson and Steve Ersnick right here on Lightning Power Play. An hour of hockey talk to get you through social distancing. This is Power Lunch with Greg Linnelli and Eric Erlinson on Lightning Power Play. And welcome back to Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. Eric Rollinson alongside Greg Vanelli as we try and get you through another week of the pause on the NHL schedule. And we know on the NHL schedule at some point there's going to be an NHL draft. We don't know if it'll be in June, if it'll be August, September, whatever it happens to be. We do know that there will be a draft and that's why we wanted to bring in Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News, who does such a great job uh, of covering the draft and the prospects and everything else. And uh, we welcome in Ryan right now. And uh, Ryan, as we ask every guest on the show, how are things? Everybody's uh, well in, in your part of the world? Yes, everybody is well. Uh, staying at home, so all good on the uh, home front for me. Thanks. That's uh, that's really good to hear and uh, really good to see you guys back working, too. I know there was a little hiccup there uh, as soon as the league went on pause. But um, let's just start with the draft itself. Uh, I'm sure you probably paid a little bit of attention to the NFL draft and the way that they pulled that off from a virtual standpoint. Uh, I know Gary Bettman kind of put the trial balloon in his words out there about even still holding the NHL draft in June, presumably even before the 1920 season comes to a close. How weird would that scenario be if teams were still playing and yet the draft was taking place? Well, I, I'm kind of warming up to the idea. I, there are some wrinkles that they would have to work out. For example, some conditional picks that were based on playoff success and that. So that would have to be worked out ahead of time. Personally, probably because I don't work for an NHL team and I just want to see the draft. Um, I would be happy with them simply doing the lottery by, you know, points percentage and, and doing the rest of the first round, maybe by points percentage. It's, you know, it's, it's not a perfect system. People have pointed out that you could have a team on the bubble of the playoffs win the lottery. And then, you know, if there is a regular season, they sneak into the playoffs and win the Stanley cup. For me, that would be an incredible storyline. It would maybe upset the other 30 teams in the league, but I, I still think that it would be uh, very compelling. And I think having a draft at least gives some sense of order for franchises heading into next season where they know what some of their future assets will be and, and what they're going to need going into training camp. 
Well, Ryan, how do you think the draft should be conducted? We've heard some things coming out. Gary Bettman says all options are on the table, I think, when it comes to when play resumes, but also maybe how the draft will be held or how it will be held. Some things trickled out regarding, you know, you could have the draft while the playoffs are still going on. Immediately, I think that um, alerted a lot of people because if Tampa Bay is playing in the playoffs and you're still having a draft, but... You know, they're a team that wants to maybe shave off some salary and they want to do that during a, during the draft to trade one of their players. They can't do that. I don't think that's going to happen. But, I mean, how do you think this should be pulled off if and when the draft does get here? For me, I, I do believe that the integrity of the 2020-21 season is is more important than jamming in the rest of, of this year. It's my personal opinion. So, I, you know, I'm fine with them doing a, a virtual draft. Maybe there is some sort of, you know, trade period. I mean, that's the, that's the problem is the draft has become the de facto trade deadline for the summer because you've always had every GM in the league, in the same city, in the same building for a couple of days, and it's been so good for making trades, some blockbusters, some sort of you know, sneaky trades that, that work out you know, in the long term. So as I said before, you know, nothing's going to be ideal right now. Where you, can, you can get things done in a, a, a safe way and a productive way. So I, I, it feels like it's going to have to be a virtual draft and GMs will have to adjust to that reality in terms of trades. And I, I'm sure because of what's going to happen to the salary cap, um, there is going to be a lot of deals done in the next four or five months, you know, when we get a little bit of clarity there, but you know, whatever's done is, is going to be a little different and it's, and it's not going to be perfect, but I think, you know, as, as you mentioned before with the NFL draft and the success they had uh, doing it virtual, I, I think the NHL would be pretty well set up for that as well. Ryan Kennedy from the hockey news joins us here and, uh, Ryan, what about the combine? It's such a big part of um, you know the draft process and and everything. We know it was canceled. It was scheduled to, uh, I think, what the first uh, first part of May is what it was scheduled for. That's been canceled. How do teams deal with that? They you know, there's plenty of tape on all the prospects and everything like that. But in terms of getting up close, we hear some of the odd questions that tend to come out of some of the meetings that players have with teams. They can just kind of go down the line in a hotel and whatever or talk to teams. But this is different. How is the combine, how will that affect this year's draft class? Well, you know, I, I spoke to a number of uh, amateur scouting directors and NHL execs about this uh, recently uh, for an article in the Hockey News. And I think what's going to happen is that teams are going to be relying a little more on their regional scouts than usual because these are the scouts that know these kids already. They've probably met with them in person four or five times during the season. You know, they've kept a beat on them sometimes for a number of years, not just the draft year. And, you know, the, the draft combine itself it's a bit of a dog and pony show when it comes to the actual physical exercises. There is some value in it where you can sort of stack players against each other. 
in terms of their athleticism. But by and large, you know, the the great information you get there is, is from the interviews and, you know, the dinners and lunches that teams have with players. You know, they'll take out one player or even a couple of different players, you know, maybe from the same team or the same country and, and sort of drill down on these kids' personalities. I think what you're going to see is a lot of phone calls. I know speaking with player agents, they're fielding a lot more calls from teams wanting to set up, uh, you know, phoners or, or even video calls uh, with some of these prospects where they didn't get a chance to do so, you know, uh, in in person recently so i think you'll see a lot of that and you know it, the only impact i might see for the kids is if you have somebody for example you know johnny beecher last year who played for team usa's national team development program he was kind of buried on a really stacked roster but he did great at the draft combine because he's a very athletic kid uh, boston ends up taking him in the first round he turns around, has a very successful freshman year at the University of Michigan. So if you had somebody like that, you know, maybe they get bumped down to a second rounder this year because they didn't have the chance to strut their stuff as it would be uh, at the combine. But again, you know, these are things that, you know, these are hiccups that you have to deal with right now. Ryan Kennedy joins us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Well, Ryan, let's talk about this draft just a little bit more. How deep is it? How good is it? It's it's pretty deep, and I would say it's pretty good. Uh, I, I tend to be an optimist, but if you look at the high end, uh, it's very fun. I think you know Alexi Lafreniere is the consensus number one pick. He is a kid that you know because he is a a late birthday, a 2001 instead of a 2002. He's going to be a little bit older come next season. I, I see him, you know, being an NHLer right away. Uh, I think Quentin Byfield has a ton of potential uh, that he is only just scratching the surface on because he has so much size and he has so much skill and power. And then you have these German kids coming up like Tim Stietzla, who uh, could be like a next Patrick Kane. And I, I think with you know some of these European kids, there's also Lucas Raymond and Alex Holtz from Sweden and Anton Lindell from Finland. You know they probably play another year in Europe, uh, whether or not we we had had this stoppage. Um, but all of them have high end elements. Uh, I think it's an interesting year on defense uh, because you have Jamie Drysdale from the OHL, who's kind of the the front runner, uh, and then you have Jake Sanderson from that Team USA program that really jumped up the standings as the year progressed. So you've got a little bit of everything, and then you also have a really good goaltender in Yaroslav Askarov, who legitimately could be a top ten pick. You know, he was at the World Juniors at seventeen, starting for Russia. You know, it was a bit of an up and down tournament for him, but scouts really believe he can be an NHL starter. And for me, I think maybe it'll only take a couple of years. I think he's in that Carter Hart mold where you'll see him sooner than later. And, you know, he's also bigger than Carter Hart uh, and just as good at, as at the other elements of the position. So 
It's a good draft. I think there are probably some gems. Uh, you know, if you're a, a Tampa Bay fan listening here, I, I think that, you know, the Lightning could get a, a very nice player um, outside of that initial crop uh, because there is a lot of talent there. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, which players slide down, which players move up. Um, you know, one name to keep in mind is Hendricks LaPierre, a, a player who has been ravaged by concussions, but has a lot of high-end potential. So I'm very intrigued to see where he goes because he has the talent to be a top 15 guy, but you know, should he slide to the end of the first round, I, I also wouldn't be surprised. So a lot of intrigue overall. Ryan, with, with no Memorial Cup, no NCAA tournament, anything like that, is, is there any group of players that particularly get hurt uh, in terms of their draft status or uh, prospects and not getting into those end-of-the-season tournaments. So there's, so much, uh, there's so many eyes focused on those parts of the year, see which players can rise to the occasion and, you know, in, in winner-take-all situations. Uh, any particular group of players that are going to be disrupted or maybe their draft status gets hurt? And the opposite of that, anybody that maybe this doesn't affect them at all? Yeah, I think if you look at uh, you know a lot of the high end guys, they were already taken care of, and even players that might not have made long playoff runs and and might have been able to go to the World Under 18s. You know, I'm thinking like a like a Ty Forrester with OHL Barry. You know, he had an MVP performance at the CHL Top Prospects game. So even if his Colts didn't go very far and, and he played for Canada at the world under 18s. Uh, I, I don't know if he would have improved his stock any more than he already did at that top prospects game. On the other hand, you know, I look at uh, Damon Hunt, a defenseman with Moose Jaw in the Western League, and he missed a, a good chunk of the season after his arm was cut by a, a skate blade. Now, I spoke to scouts who saw him before and after because he did come back for some games. Um, you know, before the season was canceled, and they seem to have a pretty good book on him. But Mushra was also one of the worst teams in the league, so he definitely would have had a chance to play for Canada at the World Under 18s. And you know, if he had been really good, maybe he would have gotten himself into first round territory. Uh, one more player I would mention is Ty Tulio with uh, Oshawa in the OHL. This is a player that uh, never got to play in any of the big prospect. Uh, you know, showcases or, or tournaments. But if he had a big playoff run with the Generals, that might have helped his stock uh, because, you know, scouts were still a little on the fence about him. You know, is, is he fast enough? You know, is he more of a complimentary player? Or can he really be, a you know, sort of a top-end scorer for a team? Uh, now he doesn't get a chance to prove himself one more time in those OHL playoffs. So a lot of it's up in the air. Uh, another thing to consider is, is prep school kids that were going to go to the USHL once their seasons are finished. Lucas Mercury uh, would be an example of that. He was going to go back to play with Des Moines in the USHL, and and obviously he didn't have that opportunity. So, you know, th there's going to be some incomplete resumes, but by and large, I think that regional scouts have already seen these kids a lot, and they'll simply have to make their cases to their GMs uh, a little stronger and more forcefully, perhaps, than in other years. 
Ryan, how strong of a draft class, particularly in the first round, is this for the Swedes? It seems like there are a number of them that could be in that top 20, top 25. And we know Sweden and Finland continue to, to put out some really good players over the years. But is this one in particular stronger than some other years? I'd say it's a pretty decent year. You know, off the top of my head, I think we're we're looking at, you know, two top 10 picks, I would say for sure. Lucas Raymond and Alex Holt. I call them the Terror Twins because they always play together internationally. They're both wingers and, uh, you know, both had pretty good seasons. You know, Raymond, he was on a very good team, so he didn't get as much of a chance to shine. But scouts know what he could do. And I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up even being a lottery pick, uh, you know, in the top three. I think some teams have him that high. Holt's more of a, a shooter, and uh, he's got a ton of potential as well. So if a team likes him, I could certainly see him being top five as well. After that, um, actually, yeah, there is a couple of defensemen, uh, William Wallander and Helgi Granz, both big kids. I would say almost kind of like mini Victor Hedmans, if you want to be super optimistic about their upside. You know, they... they they're big. They skate well. Um, you know, they can pro- provide you some offense. Uh, they're pretty good defensively as well. And and then, you know, a couple of kids that are a bit of wild cards, Noel Gundler and Zion Nybeck. You know, Nybeck, not the biggest kid. Um, Gundler kind of got stuck, you know, like Raymond on a good team over in Sweden where he didn't put up many points, but you know, there is potential there. So I would say we're looking definitely at at least five Swedes in the first round, potentially six, probably six. So, yeah, pretty good year overall. Ryan Kennedy from the Hockey News here joins us on Power Lunch uh, with Eric Rowlinson and Greg Linelli. And uh, Ryan, Alexis Lafreniere, uh, consensus number one overall prospect. There's a good chance he ends up in the Atlantic Division. Ottawa's got two lottery uh, potential picks, and of course Detroit, the year that they've had. So there's a good chance he ends up in the Atlantic Division and, and faces the Lightning for a number of years. How how good is he? Is he a franchise type changing talent? Yeah, I mean, you know, when you see Lafreniere, obviously he's got the skill, but the thing that really separates him is how competitive he is. Like this kid plays with an edge. You know, he wants to make a difference every time he's out there. MVP of the World Juniors, and, and deservedly so, even though he missed some time during the tournament with an injury. He just, he wants it. You can tell. And, you know, he, he plays for Ramuski in the Quebec League. And some of the comparisons that I heard, uh, you know, in, in recent years, because I've been following him for a couple of years, is Vincent LeCavalier, who also played for Ramuski and obviously turned out to be a pretty good player in Tampa Bay. I'm sure some fans will remember he was him. Okay. Um, but I, I, I see a lot in Lafreniere because of his drive and how he marries that with his talent. Ryan Kennedy joining us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Uh, we talk about what the new norm, Ryan, may be, what it will look like if and when play does resume here. And I think most people assume it will. I mean, how do you think this all plays out once the league does get back in terms of how the games will look, how somebody like you and, and your coworkers will be able to cover games? I mean, is this all 
something you're you're thinking about and maybe some of the, the things the league could do moving forward? Oh, certainly. And I think the short term is, is probably going to be pretty jarring. I think even though the NHL is more of a gate-driven league than the other big three sports, uh, you know, simply because the television contract isn't that big right now, at least in the U.S., um, I think what you're going to see, you know, they, they don't want empty rinks, but I think they'll they'll play in empty rinks if they have to to get this season restarted. I wonder if there's sort of a gradual process where, you know, maybe once they bring fans back into the stands, maybe it's season ticket holders only at the beginning and they try to space people out. Um, as for access, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, <clears throat> at least for this season or for most of this season, we continue to do Zoom calls uh, with players, even even maybe post-game. Maybe they say to us, you know, stay on your laptop in the press box and we will set up something with Steven Stamkos and, you know, two more in John Cooper and, and, and guys will get their, their quotes that way. Um, maybe it, you know, before the whole shutdown, you know, they did set up things where players were seated at a podium or a table and, and reporters were six feet away, but we weren't six feet away from each other. So I think it's, it's a new reality that at least in the short term, everybody's going to have to reckon with. And, you know, it's, it's going to be bumpy for a bit, but, I mean, we all know it's for the greater good, so you just do your job as best as you can. Ryan, we talked a lot about this year's draft coming up. How, how much disruption could there potentially be to next year's draft class? I mean, saw word today already came down that the Holinska-Gretzky Cup scheduled for August, which is the first real uh, under-18 that looks towards next year. Uh, on the scouting schedule, that's already been canceled. We don't know, it, you know when CHL or anything like that any of those leagues are going to start to open up. How much can next year's draft class be affected by what's happening right now? I think it's a worthwhile question. Uh, and, and really it depends on when the CHL decides that it will, you know, will it have a regular schedule um, or will things be a little more compressed? I think, you know, if the season starts a bit later and they cut down a couple of games because of that, it's, um, it's fine. I think there'll be a lot of opportunities for scouts to see these guys. And, you know, if everybody's on equal footing, then you're still judging players against each other. Um, your sample size might be a bit smaller. Um, it'll be interesting. You know, will the world juniors be affected? That's a tournament that doesn't happen until late December. So, you know, we do have a lot of runway for that right now. And, you know, the majority of top prospects games tend to be, in mid-January, so that would probably be fine as well, uh, assuming you know things get back to relative normality uh, in North America. I think you know we'll have to keep an eye on Europe as well uh, in terms of when they deem things acceptable to open back up. I know that the the Champions League uh, that they have in Europe has delayed its start one month, but that was a tournament that began in early September. So they're just bumping it to October right now. Um, so that's, I mean, that's basically in line with what we would do here in North America anyways. Um, so I, I know a lot of planning is already going into it. And 
leagues have to be kind of nimble right now, but you know, you hope for the best and you go off the information that you can gather when you can gather it. Well, Ryan, good stuff, buddy. Uh, as always, we appreciate you dropping by to talk a little draft and what the league is going to look like once it does come back. I mean, I've got to think, are you of the opinion that we do see play resume this year? It's just a matter of whether it's the regular season we start with or we go right to the postseason. Yeah, I'm still on the fence. I think, if anything, they should just go right to playoffs and try not to mess up next season too much in terms of scheduling. But it's really hard to say at this point. Ryan, real quick, how, how deep do you think the, the, the NHL can push back the start of next season to still keep that, that integrity of it? And, and we've heard Gary Bettman and Bill Daly talk a lot about that. But how, how deep can they push it back to still keep that intact? I don't think you can push it more than a couple of months. Even if you forego the All-Star break, um, there's only so many games you can cram into the calendar, especially if basketball is back at the same time, which you presume it would be. Um, so I, I think unless it's a shortened schedule, which would also be fine. I think if you go 60 games, it's it's not illegitimate. Um, but, you know, you're going to have to get sign-off from the players as well. So you, you don't want a rash of injuries because they're stacking the schedule. Well, Ryan, as always, buddy, we appreciate it. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you down the road for sure. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Ryan. Be well. Thank you. All right, that is Ryan Kennedy getting it done there from the Hockey News. And, um, yeah, you bring up some good points about just what the other sports leagues are going through right now when it comes to juniors, high school, and all the other uh, different developmental leagues out there. Everything gets kind of put on hold, and you have kids who are competing for you know, a lot of money out there, depending on where they get drafted and, you know, when you can't continue your season. And as we've talked about before, some players can really increase their draft stock by having a tremendous playoff run. We're just not seeing it right now. Yeah, it's, it's missed opportunity. Again, it's it's nobody's fault, right? Like you can't blame anybody for what's happened. It's it's the kind of world we're dealing with right now. But uh, you think about that, that, you know, some some players make huge strides in the postseason. You think of guys who are playoff performers and a guy like Claude Lemieux at the NHL level comes to mind. He didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to Claude Lemieux in the regular season. But once you got to the postseason, boy, did he play a different type of game that really stood out. And sometimes you get players like that that can really raise their stock if they go on and have a tremendous run. And, and even even some guys, maybe, maybe they were lower first-round prospects, and all of a sudden they have a great – a combine, they have a great playoff season, whatever it is, and their stock goes up. I know uh, Ryan mentioned a couple of those type of players there that have done it in the past, and you know now they're, they're missing out on those opportunities, and, and there is a lot at stake for their future, uh, for their family's future, for sure. Uh, and I even think too, you know, looking beyond the draft prospects, guys like you know in the Lightning system, a guy like Gabriel Fortier, you know, he was traded to Moncton. Uh, ahead of the CHL trade deadline, and he was supposed to be, that Moncton team was supposed to be a powerhouse team, uh, and he misses out on the opportunity to have a potential deep postseason run with the Wildcats there in the Quebec League, and, you know, what does he miss out on something like that? So it's it's not just the draft, it's also the prospects that have been drafted, and, you know, a lot of a lot of comparisons with Fortier to Mitchell Stevens in the, in the way that Mitchell Stevens plays the game 
you know, so he had that chance to kind of take that next step in a, in a deep playoff situation. So a uh, lot of unanswered questions on so many levels uh, with with the game, with the sport, with with the NHL, uh, and that is just among them. You know, how are the draft prospects? Uh, disrupted by this and how are the guys trying to make a name for themselves maybe at training camp in the fall miss out on those opportunities as well before we uh, wrap things up in our next segments i'm wondering too if the league will stay away from that talk of holding the draft while the playoffs are going on it just it didn't sound right to begin with there are other teams out there that are looking to not only draft talent but also shed salary the lighting specifically would be one of those teams i can't imagine the league would go through with something like that it's hard to think about because, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of teams. Uh, you think about it, I think about a third of the league is, is literally within $2 million of salary cap this year. Uh, we know it's not going to go up next year, that the things are going to be disrupted, and it'll be a, at least a flat cap is kind of what we're hearing. And if you can't find a way, uh, and specifically in the Lightning situation, because you're going to have to move players to make way for contracts for, you know, we mentioned it before, Sorelli and Sergachev in particular, amongst a couple of other players that are restricted free agents for Tampa Bay this year. Uh, it just it just seems a very difficult, too much of an obstacle for the league to overcome, not to make what is really, and really, it's the busiest time of the year for offseason moves or, or any kind of moves in general. The trade deadline, because of the salary cap, isn't quite what it used to be, you'll see trades here and there. Certainly we saw the big trade with Ryan McDonough and JT Miller a couple years ago involving the Lightning. So you still have a couple of those per year. But the salary cap makes it hard to make those in-season trades. It's when the everybody's rosters get reset and you start looking forward to next year, you can make some of those moves. And if you can't do that around the draft and there's draft picks involved, especially first-round draft picks, uh, I find it hard to think that they can overcome that type of an obstacle to pull off a draft like that with all those things in mind while the season's still going on. He's Eric Erlinson. I am Greg Linelli. We've been talking about the 2015 Stanley Cup playoff run. If Tampa Bay wins this year's Stanley Cup, are they considered the best Lightning team of all time? Again, we've been replaying the 2015 Stanley Cup run on Lightning Power Play 95.3 WDA. You'll hear game two tonight at 7 o'clock, and uh, it was fun reminiscing, and we'll talk more about that when we return. Eric Rollins and Greg Linelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. The hockey world might be on pause, but Eric Erlinson and Greg Linelli aren't. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Right, welcome back to our final segment of Power Lunch here on Lighting Power Play, Tuesday, April the 28th. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves not only what day it is, but where we are in the month that is April the 28th. And, uh, Greg, we were talking there in the break about, um, you know, a good question brought up by you. What was the best trade in Lightning history? And immediately to my mind comes the Ben Bishop to Corey Conacher deal. Without uh, hesitation, been, by the yeah, way. Without, exactly, yeah. Um, you know, to, to think of what Ben Bishop went on to produce here with the Lightning after he was acquired from Ottawa. Corey Conacher, two years, two three years later, was over in, in Europe before he came back to the organization uh, and has been a big part of what the success they've had down at the minor league level and able to plug in here and there. But uh, you think of the impact that Ben Bishop has had with the organization or had with the organization while he was here, and it went beyond just what he did on the ice, right? Yeah, and then he goes, you flip that pick, and you get, you know, Eric Chernak. And uh, at the time, too, it was also Peter Budai, right? And Budai wasn't, yes. you know, a, a bad backup. 
you know, for for the time he was here. It also paved the way for a guy like Andre Vasilevsky to be that guy. So Bishop, uh, the assets surrounding Bishop and specifically his play, I'm not sure there was another player that provided more to a team from that standpoint. But it, it was funny you mentioned that. I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but you had mentioned, you know, a lot of moves sometimes happen in the offseason. We've seen the Lightning make some pretty big moves. I think the, the Ryan McDonough, JT Miller move obviously was pretty impactful. Uh, even the Marty St. Louis return at the time, while it was criticized because of Marty wanting to leave and, and go somewhere else, be a little closer to home, so to speak, I think the trade, the return from Marty was was pretty impactful. But there have been also a, a few other ones when you look at it and you say, man, you got that guy for a draft pick and a mid-round draft pick specifically? That's pretty impactful. But you know, Lightning pulled off some pretty good trades. I know the last couple to trade deadline, not a lot of people... I don't want to say they didn't mind the return, but what they gave up ruffled some people the wrong way. But again, I think when you're talking about first round picks, to me, when you're a team like the Lightning, those are a little easier to part ways with than maybe even a prospect who you like a great deal in your system. Well, I mean, what did did Julian Breezeball say on the um, Zoom call he had with the league on Friday? Is that uh, when when teams were calling? him about their first round his first round draft pick leading up the deadline they were all like well look it's more of a second round pick anyway right so you know you kind of look at it that way because it's uh, it, it at least we hope it's probably you know the 31st pick in the first round but yeah it, it it is um a bit of a luxury that the team did have and you know they're in a win now mode and it's it's uh you can argue uh, the merits and whether or not it was an overpayment. I think there's plenty of people who who have that opinion. But when you look at the impact that the potential impact that both Barclay Goodrow and Blake Coleman can have, um, especially with the way that this roster is constructed and and wanting to win a Stanley Cup now, knowing that uh, the window, at least with this group of players that have been around since that 14 season, um, is going to close a little bit. Another window will open up, but this one with this particular group is going to close. And to get those players. You know, sometimes you have to give up more than you're willing to part ways with. And that's why I, I think to, you know, the Goodrow deal in particular, the Sharks came out and said, you know, he was having a great year, even though the Sharks were not. And they really liked uh, what he brought and certainly the value of his contract. And then you can kind of picture in your mind how a negotiation like that would go, right? Like if you're Julian Breezebois and you're calling Doug Wilson and, and you're interested in a player like Goodrow, there's a back and forth. Well, I want this. Well, I'm not really willing to part with this. How about I give you this? And finally, it, it probably got to the point where Julian probably went, all right, how about a first-round draft pick? And I probably made Doug Wilson pause. So sometimes you have to, uh, in the negotiation process, give up a little bit more than maybe you're willing to. But uh, I, I think that was, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what the impact is. It's going to have. But, you know, the thing that people don't kind of grasp sometimes, too, is that both Goodrell and Coleman are under contract for next season. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why giving up what Tampa Bay gave up a little easier to swallow. I'm wondering as, as we wrap up the show and we talk about the draft, I mean, I think if there's one topic that's always constant with diehard fans, it's always what you have in your minor league system and the rankings of certain prospects. I always found that whether I was in Pittsburgh or here in Tampa Bay, I think everybody likes to talk about farm systems, minor league teams, whose prospects are better. And I think sometimes fans get attached to prospects in a way that I don't want to say is not healthy, 
But it, it's certainly you've never seen these guys play as much as you would an NHL team and the players on the roster. And I think sometimes we get attached to rankings more so than what they really are. And they're they're assets. They can be used on your team to help win games, or they can be used in a trade. But I'm wondering, all the years you covered the NHL and other sports teams, do you feel like prospects and trades and draft picks always are a hot topic regardless of where you are in the season? No doubt. You know, you're always, it's funny, it's kind of like the backup quarterback syndrome, right? Like you're always enamored with the backup quarterback in the NFL. Well, who's the next prospect? Who's the next one coming up? And I think we do get enamored with that sometimes. And, um, you know, I I think a lot of how prospects work out uh, depends on how an organization brings them along. You know, you think of, think about that trade. We referenced the McDonough and J.T. Miller trade. Well, the Lightning traded two pretty good prospects in that deal. Uh, Brett Howden, for former first-round draft pick, and Lieber Hayek, a uh, second-round draft pick that they had defensemen. And those are they're really good prospects and really good players. Um, but you didn't feel the, the loss of them in your system, right? So how deep is your system? How much can you part with, with prospects? And I think that has to come into consideration as well. But I, I think that you know, from an evaluation standpoint, it's especially the NHL draft. It's not the NFL. Players aren't making the jump straight from college or, you know, in the, like they do in the NFL to impact players at the NFL level. You don't get that a ton in the NHL outside of the top 10 uh, in the first round. Maybe it's a, another year, two years, three years in the case of Mitchell Stevens, you know, four years before you start to get the impact. So you kind of grow up as a fan uh, with some of these players, and I think that's why you get attached to them in in a lot of ways because you you follow their development. How okay? How are they doing? Like Gabe Fortier, we would have followed how he would have performed in the, in this in the Q playoffs and potentially into a Memorial Cup situation. So you you, you really get to kind of know these players as a prospect more on a personal level than maybe some other sports. And I think that's why we tend to get attached to them sometimes because they're names that we've heard about for two, three, four years. Outside of the obviouses, you know, whether it's the LeCaviers, the Stamkoses, or the Headmans, who do you think was the most hyped prospect you can think of? Whether they panned out or not, I guess is irrelevant, <laughs> but I, I think, you know, I, I can remember Jonathan Druin. I remember at the time working at a radio station locally, and guys had, you know, Jonathan Druin's junior highlights up, and they're just, you know, hollering they can't believe it this guy gets called up my goodness he's going to score 90 points when he when he's there and then when he got called up people were like my goodness can you imagine what he's going to look like on the power play and there was a lot of hype involved with a player like that i'm curious all your years covering outside of the the biggest ones and even the biggest ones you can you can chime in on uh, who had the most hype coming up through the system well, I, I think I know it's obvious, but Steven Stamkos, right? Because yeah. leading up to the draft, you had the whole scene Stamkos marketing campaign. I mean, there was no doubt who the Lightning were going to pick with that. Uh, and you know, I remember going up to the to you know the Markham area and, and you know visiting with Steven and his family and driving to Sarnia to talk to the GM uh, with the Sting, where he played junior hockey. And you know there was there was you know that scene Stamkos campaign had certainly reached that area of North America as well because of who Steven Stamkos is. So I, think, so I think from a hype standpoint, he had to have been. I know there was a lot around the Cavalier. Though, you know, it was a different – there was social media wasn't as um, – it wasn't even around, I don't think, in 98, uh, trying to think back. Um, you know, so there was a lot of hype. But, it, you know, there was even still some consideration going.
going into that draft, you know, was it was it Vinny LeCavier? Was it David Leguan? You know, who was it going to be? I don't think there was really much doubt um, who the Lightning were going to take in 2008. So he's probably the most hyped. I can kind of give you the most overhyped one. How about that? Um, there was a defenseman by the name of Andreas Holmquist who was drafted in the second round out of Sweden, didn't play in North America, played in Sweden, and there was so much talk about him. He's a great first pass. He can really skate. He can really move. Can't wait to get him over here. So much talk about him for a year or two. He finally comes over. He's in a, he's in a training camp. They're talking about how he's NHL ready now. The guy never got into an exhibition game. He never got into a preseason game. John Tortorella just did not like his game whatsoever. So we had all this talk about Andreas Holmquist, and he never even appeared in a preseason game. That's a good game. one. That's a good, see, that's what I like. The, the, guys, <laughs> the guys that had some pub, people were like, you know what? Yes, I think this is the guy that is going to come over and, and make an impact. And next thing you know, they just fizzle. Well, and then there's another one too, it, who's still actually lightning property goaltender Vasily Koseshkin. <laughs> six oh foot seven, six foot eight goaltender, played in Russia. There was talk for a year or two that maybe he was going to come over, but he wanted an, you know, he wanted a guarantee of an NHL job. Uh, wasn't going to get it. So, um, you know, if anybody follows uh, Bolt Prospects, uh, there's still a lot of talk about uh, uh, Koseshkin and and his his uh, spot in the lightning prospect pipeline. Who's the other Russian? Recently, that was he was a forward, and uh, Gusev. Yeah, well, Gusev, Gusev for sure. Um, he was somebody that a lot of people, a lot of people liked, and it just didn't happen here in Tampa. Yeah, you get a few of those uh, along the pipeline. There's no doubt that uh, you know. Again, that's why draft and develop is so important and so key. And that's where the success of Lighting have had in the last ten years in, in their draft and development. That's why they're so deep now. That's why we talk about you know this is probably the deepest team they've ever had. It's because of the abilities to bring in a Sorelli and a Braden Point and players like that that are come up and and able to make huge impacts early on in their career. No doubt, it makes you appreciate you know getting Braden Points where they got him and you know some other players that have made some impacts that uh it's been a lot of fun watching tampa bay hit on those players so uh, if you want to weigh in you can at greg Linelli at eric underscore erlinson and uh we'll get you going with uh, some good talk on twitter we'll be uh, with you guys again tomorrow and uh e, who do we got it should be a lot of fun it's a national writer we always like those yeah, insider uh, Dave Pagnota, who uh, nice. works for the Fourth Period uh, Lifestyle Hockey Magazine. He also writes for the fourthperiod.com and has a national show on Sirius XM on weekends. And uh, he was one of the first ones to report that Tampa was in the mix for one of these potential pods, if you will, once the league gets back. Uh, so Dave will join us tomorrow and maybe give us some more information on where things stand on that front. I will love it. It will be a lot of fun. E, as always, great job, buddy. We'll do it again tomorrow. Sounds good, Greg. Thanks, everybody. Be well. Yeah, everybody stay safe out there. Thanks to Steve Versnick as well for producing. We'll be with you again tomorrow, noon to one. If you get a chance to, tune in to Lightning Power Play and 95.3 WDAE at 7 o'clock. We are replaying game two of the 2015 Stanley Cup Finals between Tampa Bay and Chicago. It's a win for the Bolts. Always good to hear Dave Michigan and Phil Esposito uh, during that time. Ian and I will be on during the intermissions talking about the game live and also, too, Brian Burns will be my pregame interview, so make sure you check that out as well. All right, everybody, we'll be with you again tomorrow. Be well right here on Lightning Power Play.